In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, we're told this. That on the first day of the week, at early dawn, some women who were followers of Jesus went to the tomb. And they took spices they had prepared to anoint his body. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. And they went in, and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed, behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel. They were frightened. They bowed down their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember, he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. But on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And the words seemed to them like an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter, Peter rose and he ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying there by themselves. And he went home, marveling at what had happened. My guess is that you have experienced this before. When you've woken up and your stomach is in knots because you went to bed with a heavy heart. Most of us know what it's like to wake up with a sense of pain or sorrow with the wish that the things that had happened the day before had not happened. Maybe it was just a bad dream. I have no doubt that this was the experience of the disciples on those two mornings following the death of Christ. He died on a Friday, which is why we came together on Friday night. We came together to remember that he died, that he was beaten, that his hands and feet were pierced, and he was crucified. After he died, his body was taken down, and some of his followers put it in a tomb. That was Friday. On Sunday, we know this, that everything changed. And I'm thankful for the way that we generally celebrate this weekend, starting on Friday evening together, and then moving through the week. Because I think it helps us to slow down, hopefully a little bit, and to consider how the disciples must have felt Saturday morning, Saturday evening, Sunday morning. This man they had given their lives to, who they believed was the Messiah, had been arrested, beaten, tried, and crucified. And if they slept at all, I have no doubt they woke up with knots in their stomach. Floods of emotions. Grief. Confusion. Anger, maybe. Sorrow. Fear. Disappointment. can only imagine the way they must have felt on those days. And I'm sure they woke up Sunday morning not feeling much better, but of course we know that hours later, they would receive the news that everything had changed. News that at first they did not believe, but before long they would know is true. Jesus had risen from the dead. He 
is alive. So they have these emotions, grief, fear, confusion, doubt, disappointment. And then over the course of 24 hours, they get hope and joy and peace and purpose and a reason to live and to give their lives. And this morning, I want us to consider that the same way the disciples went away hopeless and lost on Friday and were given joy and hope on Sunday, the same can be true for us. We come together today, just like we do every Sunday, to confess and to proclaim that we have hope. Now, like the disciples on Friday and Saturday, you know well what it's like to struggle with grief and pain. We live in a fallen world, don't we? We long for things to be made right. You struggle with temptations and sin. And we all know what it's like to wake up and to wish that things were different, that the cancer was gone, that that sin had never been committed, that the relationships were mended. I know that you know what it feels like to wish that things were made right. This Easter morning, I want to remind you, all will be made right. Jesus is alive. He's alive, which means we have hope. And no matter what reality you woke up to this morning, Jesus reigns. Our sins are forgiven. We have hope. This morning, I'm doing something I don't typically do, and I was telling a couple of you how uncomfortable I was with it. Normally, we go to one text and we spend the whole time there, and I'm really comfortable with that. This morning, we're going to try something different. We're going to be all over the New Testament. We'll have the, the verses on the screen, and here's what I want to do this morning. First, I want us just to spend just a few minutes considering the reality of the resurrection. This really happened. And then we're going to spend a few minutes considering what that accomplished. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Was God just fixing a mistake? Had something gone terribly wrong and God was trying to fix it? What did the resurrection accomplish? And then finally we'll ask the question, how should we respond? If we believe that he is risen, what does that mean for us today? First, let's consider the reality of the resurrection. Maybe this morning you woke up and if your feed is anything like mine on social media, post after post, beautiful pictures, proclamations, Christ is risen. And I wonder if that feels real to you or if it's just something we say. This morning I want to remind you that as a church, we believe that Jesus really died and he really rose again. It wasn't metaphorical, it wasn't Symbolic, Jesus' heart stopped. He was buried. And on the third day, it started beating again. And he got up and he walked out. And the disciples were witnesses to his death and they were also witnesses to his resurrection. We know that the first people to see him were the women. 
We're told that Jesus appeared to them. The disciples struggled to believe, as any of us would. But that night, as the disciples were gathered together, Jesus appeared to them. And in a real and tangible way. We read this in Luke chapter 24. The disciples gathered in this room and it says they were talking about these things. What things? Probably their fear, their grief, their confusion. What these ladies had told them that morning. While they talked about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. He said to them, peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands. See my feet. Touch me. See, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Can you imagine that scene? These 12 or 11 fearful men gathered, when all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And it's not a ghost, it's not a spirit, it's not a vision, it is the Christ. And I'm so thankful that Luke goes as far as he does to help us realize that this was Jesus' flesh and blood. Jesus wanted to know. He said, said, touch me. He knew what they were thinking. He knew they feared it was a spirit. He said, no, no, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see me having here. He showed him his hands that had been pierced, his feet that had been put through with a nail. And then he went a step further, and Luke records it. He can rise from the dead. He probably didn't have to have a meal right then. But I think it's proof to them, and it's proof for us. He ate some fish. I love the details that Luke adds so that we won't miss what's being said. Jesus had died. Jesus was alive in the flesh. He went and saw his friends. And if it stopped there, maybe there would be questions. Did these men just get together and make this up? But we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that there were many, many more who saw him alive. Paul says, I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. Go and talk to them. They'll tell you. They've seen him. Some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and he appeared to all the apostles. We know as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, some of whom had doubted the resurrection. They had said things like, there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead. But Paul writes to them to assure them that yes, he did die he did rise and many have seen them in this day as he writes they receive this letter he says there's lots of people you can go and you can talk to them they've seen him 
We don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because one person said it. Many, many people saw him, touched him, ate with him. They had conversations with him. For these people, the resurrection was not a question. It wasn't a fable or a myth. They knew Jesus was alive. And this morning, we won't take time to go and build a historical case for the resurrection of Christ, although we could. What I simply want to remind you of this morning, and, and I encourage you to affirm in your heart, is the undisputed testimony, Christ is risen. And I hope you never grow tired of those words. It's a truth that we must not take for granted. If we're not careful, we could allow these things to, to uh, shift in our minds to fairy tale, to fable, to childhood stories. But it is not a fable. This is real. This is true. Jesus lived. Jesus died. He rose again. And this is the core of our faith. It's the centerpiece of what we believe. We must hang on to this and never let it go. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise, we have nothing. Isn't what Paul says? 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then I should shut up. It's useless. Our preaching is in vain, and, and your faith is in vain. Paul makes it clear the centrality and the necessity of the resurrection. It's through the resurrection that Jesus proved why he came. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved once and for all that he is God. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that everything he had said was true. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that he had accomplished what he set out to accomplish. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But this is our hope. He is not dead. Jesus is alive. We are here to celebrate that he is risen. But then we could ask the question, for what purpose? I teased it earlier. Was it that Jesus was killed and this disrupted God's plan? And so he rose him from the dead. Was this a, a backup plan? Was this a, an attempt to fix a mistake? No. This is the reason he came. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. He had the authority to lay it down, and he had the authority to take it up again. Can I remind you this morning of just a few things? Things that maybe you know well, but things that we must not forget. The reality is that every part of our salvation and all of our hope hinges on the resurrection. You don't come to faith if not for the resurrection. You don't continue in the faith if not for the resurrection. And you don't have the hope of eternal life if not for the resurrection. We could say it this way for the theologians in the room. The resurrection assures our redemption. The resurrection empowers our sanctification. The resurrection guarantees our glorification. I think Easter is a good opportunity for us just to consider these things. Most of the time when we think about our sins being forgiven, what comes to mind for you? I think it's most of us probably what comes to mind is the cross. And that's appropriate. I don't want to change that. Jesus had to die. His blood had to be shed. He had to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. But the question is, how do we know that it worked? 
How do we know that he accomplished what he set out to accomplish? How do we know that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf? The resurrection. The resurrection is the declaration of God's approval of Christ's work. And the reason I say that is because of what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. You can go and read the context. In chapter 3, we see the declaration that we are sinners. We are told about justification by faith, that God is the just and the justifier. We get into chapter 4 and we read this. Just one verse. Jesus was delivered up, delivered to death for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. Or to say it another way, he went to the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead so that it would be completed. So that we can be in right standing with God. To say it simply, Jesus rose from the dead and because he rose, you can know that your sins are forgiven. Again, we go to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Don't miss this, church. If Jesus didn't rise, then your faith is useless. You're still in your sins. Which, and what does that mean? It means that you have to pay the penalty. And that should leave us trembling. The thought of being held accountable for our sins say, oh, mine aren't that bad. No. We're all sinners, and any sin makes us guilty before God. We're his enemies. We deserve his judgment, and his judgment is eternal. Consider the seriousness of that position. Consider knowing that we were simply waiting for eternal punishment to begin. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then this is our position. We are guilty before God and we are simply waiting for the day when he will punish us. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But thanks be to God that Jesus is alive. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised from the dead for our justification. Because of this, we can be made right before God. I love the way Peter says it. 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, that's an understatement, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reason you have hope, the reason you have salvation is because Jesus is alive. This is why we celebrate the resurrection. And if this does not seem significant to you, then you don't understand the depth of your sin. And you don't understand what you deserve because of your sin. It's because of the resurrection that we are brought into faith. It's because of the resurrection we can be assured that we have the forgiveness of sins. So yes, let's proclaim, he is risen. And because he has risen, we are forgiven. It's also because of the resurrection that we can continue in the Christian life. Here we're talking about spiritual resurrection. The reason we can live lives that are pleasing to God is because he is alive. The Bible teaches that all those who are his have been united to him. We talk about union with Christ. And the Bible explains that when you come to faith in him, that spiritually you die with him. 
and you are raised with him. This is detailed in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? You're a participant with him in his death. So we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's how the Bible describes this spiritual reality that when we come into Christ, we, we enter into his death. So he died physically, but we die spiritually. But that's only half the story, right? If we go back to Romans 6, we see that not only have we died with him, but we have also been raised with him. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death doesn't have any dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you, church, must also consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. It completes the picture, doesn't it? When we come to faith, we participate with him in his death, and then we participate with him in his resurrection. It's the picture we get when we are baptized, isn't it? You know, God in his good plan gave us two ordinances. One being the Lord's Supper that we shared together on Friday evening. The reminder of his broken body and shed blood. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of his death. Through baptism, we're reminded that just as Jesus died and rose again, we too die with him. And we also rise. Think about the picture. We, we take a person and we put them under the water, symbolizing that spiritually they have died with Christ, but we don't leave them there, and not only for practical purposes. We, we pull them out of the water to demonstrate that Christ is risen, and we too, those who are in Christ, have been raised to new life. Every time we see someone baptized, we should be reminded of this, that as he died, we die, and as he lives, we live. What you see is our need for resurrection. Paul says it this way in Colossians. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Do you hear how matter-of-factly he speaks? You have been buried with him. You were raised. You were dead. He made you alive. If you're in Christ, these are your realities. So when we proclaim together he is risen, we are being reminded that we too have been made alive in him and we have the hope of future resurrection. You have been set free from sin. I wonder how many of you have had weeks or months or maybe a year of struggling with, weir with worry, with fear. Maybe you feel trapped by your addiction, your lust, your selfishness. 
Can I remind you that because you have died with Christ and been raised to new life, you no longer have to live as a slave to these things. Through Christ, we are given new life. We were raised from the dead with him. He was raised by the power of God, and the scriptures tell us that we have the same power living in us. Listen to this, church. Romans chapter 8. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you, which means you can have unbelievable hope. You can have victory over sin. You don't have to live in slavery. You don't have to stay the way you were. You were made alive and you have the power of God living in you. What was accomplished through the resurrection? It's because of the resurrection that we can be assured that our sins are forgiven. It's because of the resurrection that we can live tomorrow confidently. And it's also the resurrection that guarantees our future resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 again. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Yes, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You hear what Paul's saying here? If Christ died and did not rise from the dead, then the same is true for us. If he, did, if he died and did not rise, then we will not rise. If he did not rise from the dead, then all those who have gone before us, Paul's word is perished. It speaks of a final death. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have died are gone. No hope. If Christ has not been raised, we cannot stand at the grave of a loved one with hope. We must stand there knowing that there is nothing more to come. If Christ has not been raised, then death wins every time. If Christ has not been raised, the sting of death is real. And it is permanent. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And not only that, but he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? It means he has the first resurrection, but there are more coming. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, all those who belong to Christ. Because he rose from the dead, we can bury our loved ones, and one day we may bury one another, and we can do so with hope. That's what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians. We do not want you to be uninformed Brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when you see that post, or when you make that post, proclaim that he is risen, we can also know confidently that those who have gone to sleep in Christ will rise. And if God tarries and we are put in the ground, we proclaim, because he has risen, we too will rise. 
The resurrection matters. It's because he's raised that we're forgiven. It's because he's raised that we can say, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we celebrate Easter? Because the resurrection of Christ is the guarantee of our resurrection. One final question. We've considered the reality of the resurrection. We've considered the results of the resurrection. How should we respond? This day will be over and we'll set our eyes towards next Easter, but how does this reality that Christ is risen, what should it do in us today? And hopefully you could have already thought of some things as we've considered the results, but let me just give you a few things to consider before we, before we close. As we talk about the results of the resurrection or what it accomplished, the first thing we said is we can be assured that we have the forgiveness of sins. And I've proclaimed this confidently because I'm speaking to a gathering of the church, but I must also say this that the forgiveness of sins through the resurrection of Christ is not something that's applied to everyone automatically. You must hear this. Jesus died and he rose again so that sinners can be forgiven. But the only way that that forgiveness is applied to us is if we trust in him by faith. So we're called to repent of our sins, to confess that we have in fact sinned, that we are guilty before God, to believe that Jesus did die and that he did rise and it's then, after repenting and believing that this is applied to us, we're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. So hear me. If this is not something that you have settled, if you've not repented and believed, then all of the things that we've been celebrating this morning don't yet apply to you. But they can. For those of you who are Christians, can I remind you that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven? What does that mean for us? That means you don't have to live in shame and guilt anymore. You are forgiven. You don't have to live as a slave to sin. Because you have died and been raised with him, you can walk in new life. There is hope. You don't have to keep giving in to that same sin day in and day out. You have the power of the risen Lord living inside of you. The gospel changes our relationship with sin. The fact that Jesus has been raised should change the way we look at life. It should the way, change the way we consider everything. Consider what Paul says in Colossians 3.1. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So I've told you this morning that if you're in Christ, you've died with him and been raised to him. And now Paul says, if that's you, if you believe that Jesus rose again and that you have been raised to new life with him, if that's you, then set your mind on things above. What does that mean? What's he calling us to? He's asking us to ask questions of ourselves. What do we value the most? What are we seeking after? What do we love? What do we desire? What are we giving our lives to pursuing? 
The question is, if you've been raised with Christ, what do you value? If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Which means, if you celebrate today that Christ is risen and you have new life in him, that it should impact the way you steward the things that God has given you. It should impact the way we spend our money and what we prioritize. It should impact the way we use our time. We should give our lives to things that matter. It should change the way we think about relationships. As those who know Christ, we understand that there is more beyond this life. Because he has risen, we have been raised, and so we must live differently. If Christ is alive, then we have a proper response. As those who have been raised with Christ, we live in light of our spiritual resurrection, and we also live in hope of our future resurrection. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. As those who believe in an eternity, as those who believe that we will rise again, I wonder, do we think more of this life than the life to come? If eternity is real, and if it's as long as eternity is, then this life should be used towards that end. Which means we have a message to share with others. Which means we must prioritize what's most important. If we declare Christ is risen, we are also declaring that we will rise. We're also declaring that all those who don't place their faith in him will rise not to hope but to punishment. So we have a message to proclaim. Paul says... If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. But since Jesus is alive, our preaching is not in vain. So we must be faithful to share. God uses our proclamation so that others can die to themselves and be raised to new life. This is the message of Easter. And our aim should be that everyone would hear and believe As we started this morning, I mentioned the hopelessness of the disciples after the death of Christ and how it changed when they realized he was alive. And my prayer for us this morning is that you would see again the change that the resurrection makes, that you'd be able to leave this morning with greater hope. He died and rose again so that you can have hope in whatever situation you are facing. No matter what reality you woke up to today, you can face it because Christ is alive. And if you're in him, his spirit dwells in you. If you have sinned and you're in Christ, you can know that your sins are forgiven. If you're in Christ, you can know that you have been given new life. You can live to the glory of God. And if you're in Christ, you can know that you have the hope of eternity ahead. Praise God. Christ is risen. We have hope.